This is Security All In. I'm Sam Curry, Chief Security Officer for Cyber Reason. And on Security All In, we try to interview interesting people and find out when either they went all in on security or security went all in on them, perhaps. And uh, we try to dive into that a little bit. And sometimes we pull in risk themes. And sometimes we try to touch on poker, which I don't really do a good enough job of pulling in. So I'll try to do it more often. But uh, if the conversation goes where it goes, then so be it. I'm joined today by my good friend, Dr. Kelly Masada. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. It's good to have you here. And I've been meaning to have you on the show for a while. So I'm not entirely sure when we first met. I feel like I've known you pretty much my whole life. We've interacted. You you know my brother. I think you've also met my father. Yep. And I know your husband is wonderful. When did we first meet? Do you, do you remember that? I think we first met at a serious symposium. In, and, uh, in and Indiana. I, yeah. And I think you actually gave Spath an award that year. No, I think he... Was it 2000? No, it had to, could, it had to have been... I got an award from Purdue from him. Yes, that was it. Right. So this is Purdue someone University. Someone gave someone an there award. Were, there were awards. <laughs> we do that a lot in security. It's very self-congratulatory. Was that the first time we met? I, I think we, well, we've certainly been in the same... We have all the same friends. We have um, all the same friends. And your name was floating around several times. And I think... It's all lies, by the way. <laughs> I think it was when when I was at Sirius oh, yeah. uh, at that symposium that, you know, I was like, oh, Sam Curry, I know that name. I need to meet this person. And of course, we both live in and around the Boston area. Mm-hmm. So it's funny we met at Purdue in Indiana and West Lafayette. <laughs> so, so it's great to have you on the show. And I'm dying to find out when you went all in on security. But to start with, I know you didn't start in the security industry. Your bachelor's What's it in and what was your original formal training? Yeah, um, my bachelor's degree is in uh, business management with an emphasis in marketing. My master's degree is in marketing from Bentley University. I think they're a university now. And you're from um, New York originally? Is that- I'm originally from upstate New York, but I moved about 20 times in my life. We have just, that in common. Yeah. I'm, I'm from just north of there. <laughs> I've moved, I moved about every three to six years of my life too, so I can relate. Yeah, it was, and it was just sort of circumstance, family circumstances that. You know, how do you how do you answer know. the question? Where are you from? I always say Boston, because you know what? That's Boston, your home of choice. It's my home of choice, but it's where my feet belong. Right. So I spent about fifteen years with my ex husband. Um, in Portland, Oregon, and California, and Arizona. And I always told people, my feet don't fit here. Mm. They just don't feel right. Um, Not there's anything wrong with those places. No, no those places are beautiful. Mm. I've been very blessed to live in some gorgeous places in the country. But I always knew that, you know, walking the streets of Boston, this is where I belong. Even in the middle of January or February? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the best. That's um, when I can wear my really cool muckaluck shoes. <laughs> muckaluck shoes. I'll have to see these sometime. Let's go to security. When were you first exposed to it? When did you realize it was a thing or that it was a discipline? Or when did you first rub shoulders with security? It uh, came in a very unexpected way. Uh, Mm -hmm. So my entree into security came about due to a personal situation with someone who was stalking me using technology. Uh, And it was a former coworker Mm. Um, it spanned a number of years and there are lots of little stories in and out of that whole was situation. Was this mostly physical or was it cyber? Or it was, was it all cyber. All combined. It yeah. was all cyber, but it lasted for a number of years. And that's where 
you know, I kept wondering how is it that technology could facilitate someone being so aggressive and malicious towards me. Right. And not only towards me, but to many people in my life. So his approach was very much of, I'm going to defame Kelly to anyone that she knows. Yeah. And really went to great lengths to find people, you know, two and three layers away from me. So like infiltrating we'd call it your social network, but your life. Yes, very much. And, and controlling the narrative of your life to some degree. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it was until those, those days that um, I never met, uh, never understood what Tor was. Right. I remember actually a funny story is I remember contacting um, some folks in the security space. I was actually... Friends dr- or, or through well, colleagues or... After uh, after I moved back home to Boston, I was able to land a job at IONS. Right. I was director of research for a couple of months and put together the whole faculty program and got to meet Marcus Raynham and Herb oh, Rossman cool. and uh, Randy Sabet and all, that whole crew. And I remember asking someone, you know, I'm getting these terrible emails and I tried not to bring my personal situation into the work environment. But I, Which is hard. I mean, we're whole people. Oh, it, 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 to, to draw a line like that and not have it emotionally cross the line or contaminate in some way is almost impossible. It was, it was the hardest period of my life, mm. without a doubt. And it affected every relationship that I had, including the relationship with myself, how I saw myself. Because when you see things through technology as mm-hmm. a victim sort of as mm-hmm. that weapon it ends up being a teleprompter. So if you're paused at a stoplight, if you're sort of lost in your own thoughts, it would always creep in. It just creeps in your field of vision and takes over your your, your daydreaming. You're reading everything and you start, you know, absorbing all of that. And when, because of my situation that he reached out to so many people, those people in my life were reaching out to me and what saying, is this? Yeah. Who is this person? What are they doing? Is what he's saying true? So I had to defend myself. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly painful and incredibly difficult. But I remember the day that someone, and I wish I could remember who it was, said to me, well, you need to find out where these emails are coming from. Um, did you expand the headers? And I'm like, what? You're like the what? Yeah. What is that? And how do you do that? And what does that mean? And and that was, I think, probably the first point where I stepped into, oh, now I can see the trail or at least a partial trail mm-hmm. of this. He was using Tor at the time. So, you know, everything kind of hit that that dead end. But it was but, like peeling a layer back maybe and seeing, hey, there's stuff here. It's, right. Yeah. It's not just the veneer of an email. Exactly. It's not completely traceless. Yeah. Well, and it, what it did was it also <laughs> removed him as a malicious, horrible person from the technology. So then I could start uh-huh. wrapping my head around, well, if I figured out the technology, if I think about sort of the mechanics of it and the technology and the law and the systems by how he could facilitate this, would that make me feel better? Would that make me sort of be able to control sort of my environment? Because the big lesson learned for me was that I can't control the behavior of someone else. Right. I can't control what they think of me. I can't control what they say about me. And I can't worry about it anymore because it's exhausting. But what I can control is understanding how it's facilitated, how everything works. 
how I can protect myself. And so that whole experience led me to RSA in 2012, just by chance, sitting around a table, again, just by chance, invited by Linda McCarthy. Yep. And at the other end of the table was Becky Bass, Terry Gilbert, and Gene Spafford. Yep. And when I said goodbye to everybody, Becky's like, I want to be friends. Oh, that's great. And Spaff said, I think we should talk. Um, and then I love Spaff. He's oh, awesome. Actually, I think I truly... I should have him on the show at some point. He's, he's a, you should bring him to Boston. Yeah, I will. I, he, he, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's amazing. But I really, you know, not to be overdramatic about it, but I really do believe that that interaction and meeting Becky and meeting Spaff changed the course for me. Because a few months later, Spaff invited me to Purdue, mm-hmm. took me to Nine Irish Brothers, the night before I gave my talk, which was frightening because it was the first time I ever spoke publicly about it, about what was going on for me. And um, this was a, a talk at the college to students or to uh, in one of their events? To students and faculty. And it was being recorded. This wasn't his security symposium he does every no, spring. No, no, this was, they do monthly uh, security talks. Right. And so it was being recorded and broadcast, which also, I mean, create this incredible like air of anxiety. Because for me, I just didn't know when he was going to pop up again, when he was going to attack again. So I very much contained my world. But I remember Spaff sitting at Nine Irish Brothers the night before saying, you know, you can you have a choice. You can remain a victim and we can get your story on the cover of the New York Times and get it out there. Or you can do something different and we have a PhD program. Would you apply? And that's amazing. I, my first thought was, yeah, right. You know, I have an MBA in marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm a single parent and I live in Boston, Massachusetts. And somehow you're going to do a PhD in information security at Purdue, exactly. uh, which is not a short little, you know, commute. No. So I, I applied <laughs> really the, the bucket list item was the application. It was never, never to actually do it. Never thought in my head that they would accept me because at that point, you know, I had been dealing with years of someone telling me how horrible I was and I couldn't even find a job because potential employers would find out about the stalking and they would, wouldn't hire me because of it. So I spent a lot of years mm-hmm. just not feeling like I was worthy of it. So when I started PhD, you know, Spaff said, welcome to Indiana. And I said, I, I'm not moving. <laughs> and <laughs> by, by the way, for those listening, if you don't know where Purdue is, it's, it's a wonderful campus, but you have to fly to Indianapolis and then it's a 45 minute to an hour drive outside yeah. of Indianapolis. So from Boston, you'd have to get there early, get to the airport, let's call it two hours before and an hour to prep, to prep. Then you have an hour and a half flight and then you got an hour on the other end, assuming you get the car and, you know, assuming you can, you're not taking a bus or something. Yeah. So you're, it's a six hour investment to get there from, from Boston. Yeah. And it was, it was really incredible because, you know, Purdue doesn't have an online program for PhD. And I talked to some of the faculty and because Spaff encouraged me to get input from others. And I had one faculty member say to me, I will not support you doing this. Because you didn't have necessarily the, quote, classic background? Because I didn't have the classic background and because I couldn't do it on campus. I've spoken to you about this since. I know you got on planes all the time. All the time. And you did the very hard, back-breaking work 
of making up for what you didn't have, right? Yep, four years. Which, by the way, is super impressive. Thank you. I mean, having done this for 30 years, I take it for granted sometimes. But when I stopped and thought about what you had to learn, it's a huge amount. Thank you. It was every semester I thought I was going to be kicked out. So there was a humility that mm-hmm. came with it. And I was working Which you still full-time. have, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I was working full time. I was doing my coursework at Purdue. Um, thankfully, fellow students and faculty would allow me to Skype into classes. So I took classes That's just like awesome. everybody. Well, that wasn't a standard thing no. at the time, no. No. Every Although now I think we take it for granted that there's remote access to classrooms and right. faculty. But this was this was different. But I always had staff in my my corner, which helped tremendously. I had Becky in my corner as my mentor and my other co-chair, Dr. Marcus um, Rogers, also was in my corner. Spath is one of the people who he doesn't pull his punches. And, yeah. and out of love, he'll tell you when he's mad with you. Yep. And he'll tell you when, yep. you're, when you're outright wrong. <laughs> yep. And he'll go out on a limb because it's hard to tell someone who's been victimized to stop being a victim. Right. Because you want to help them and you want to give them a safe place. But think of how loving it was that he did that and that you then responded. It could have gone many different ways. Absolutely. Because at the time when I accepted PhD, I was director of communications for the tour project, right? which was not a very popular place. I can imagine. Um, and certain people's minds for me to be because tour was the tool was the technology that yep. was used as a weapon against me. So, but for me, again, it was about the learning. It was about understanding the complexities of these issues mm-hmm. and the complexities around the technology. So PhD brought me to that. PhD opened up a curious mind in the researcher's mind. So now I look at things of what's the possibilities? What can we do with this? I don't think I've ever asked you what your dissertation was in here. I, I love my dissertation. What was I, it? I, of course you do. You have to, if you don't, it would have been torture. But. Well, yeah, it still is torture. <laughs> <laughs> so people assumed that I would write about um, technology and being a victim. And I didn't want to be that person. Good. So I... But you, you are getting that message out, but good for you that you found, okay, this doesn't define me, New Frontierland. What was it? So I took a look at what failed me during my own experience. Mm-hmm. And what failed was that the organizations that I reached out to for help had no idea how to deal with cyber stalking, mm. didn't know how to deal with the technology. And so I, after a little bit more digging, I didn't want to just sort of assess them from that vantage point because... If you take a look at technology and how you know clients of nonprofits are using it, you sort of miss the point. So I decided to take information and cybersecurity inside these organizations to assess it from the business perspective because it took the fear out. It took the disconnection yep. that it's not a business element. It's about our clients. And so my dissertation was on the security preparedness of domestic violence and human trafficking organizations, which opened up this huge chasm of possibilities because what it said was the nonprofit space in our environment is completely overlooked by the security field. So I remember right. presenting my first proposal to my dissertation committee, and it was gorgeous. I gotta say, because you know, coming could it be from, anything less? I mean, <laughs> well, coming from marketing and business, you know, I had these grand plans, and during my did that did that help or did it did it maybe hinder? They're like, wait, how much work did you put into the prep? Oh no, they were very respectful Good. and knew that I put a ton of thought. Because I've it. seen VCs being like, wait, your template's too nice. How where are you spending your money? <laughs> 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and SPAF, once again, you know, interjects halfway through my proposal pr- presentation. He said, Kelly, get the PhD first, then go save the world, not the reverse. <laughs> and that's why for, he's like, pick two areas. I'm going to use that as my excuse for not doing a PhD, <laughs> by the way. But like SPAF, I had to save the world. I'm you sorry. have to save the world first. Yeah. So he said, pick two areas of nonprofits to really focus your energy. And that's where I focused on domestic violence and human trafficking. Um, They're dealing with people in crisis. They're dealing with victims. But to have them assess security from a business mindset and not just from a service mindset. Which brings us to your security company, right? Sightline. Yes. How do you describe what Sightline is and does to people who say, oh, I know you, awesome story and great achievements. And so what are you doing with Sightline? And what's the answer for that? So Sightline really came out of dissertation of... um, Just an extension of it. Yes. Becky Bass was the one who showed up at my defense, uh, my dissertation defense, surprised me. And when it was done, she said, you can't let this sit on the shelf. Um, there's a reason why you've been put into the security space because it was not my And my Spaff promised you could then go save the world. Yes. So you had <laughs> yes. to do that. <laughs> I had to take him up on that. So in those days, Becky and I, she she was my sounding board. And what I really wanted to do was create an ecosystem for nonprofits to be able to embrace security, best practices, solutions, community, the whole gamut. And it's been such an interesting journey because I've been seeing more and more how, particularly in an underserved populations, we in the security space want to helicopter in with these mm-hmm. solutions and all the right answers. And our approach with helping the nonprofits is to actually help them assess security in their language, to help them identify priorities that meet their business, not just what we want them to do and to connect them with service providers that they need when they need it. So, and to create the community of conversations so nonprofits can talk to one another. This is hard, hard work. The biggest problem in security, I often say it isn't that we don't know. For all that we, the people I've had on the show are, are vendors often make technology. It's not not knowing how to do, what, you know, how to catch things or what to do with them or how to solve security problems. It's that alignment with the real stakeholders in a company who have no idea what security is. And, being the glue for that, that's huge stuff. And right now we're doing very much boots on the ground work. We've done the proof of concept. Um, we're collecting, we're also collecting data about the reality of nonprofits in security best practices. So we actually can step in and say, you know, that thing that you're assuming about nonprofits and security, let us tell you the reality. Because we can all assume that they don't have resources, they don't have knowledge, they you know, don't have all these things, when in fact, they are doing some things really well. They may not be perfect, but they're walking the path. And having, I mean, a, having a way to quantify that, to understand it and to put it in a exactly. framework and say, wow, I'm actually capable of doing this is very empowering. Exactly. And so we want to also collect all that success so that we bolster their confidence mm-hmm. and get them excited and show that security you know, unlike when I was dealing with my situation, security doesn't have to be scary. And you don't have to just focus on the bad guys. You can actually think about it just as any other business function. Not in isolation. So I'm going to guess that your moment of going all in, here comes the poker motif warning. The moment you said I'm all in and you moved your chips across the table into the yes. security uh, category, 
was when you got accepted? Is that because your bucket list was to be, to apply. Right. And you did that. And then you get the acceptance letter. Was that the moment or did it come after? Or was it something you struggled with even for a while? I think I struggled with it for quite a while. I think my all in was walking across the stage after SPAF hooded me with that my moment. PhD. Like, was wow. that moment of I'm in. You're there. Yeah. And I had butterfly shoes on. But you've always struck me the, the to know that the internal butterfly shoes. <laughs> to know that you've had the internal turmoil, you always struck me as somebody who's quite very serene and uh, sure of herself in some ways, even though you may not feel it inside. So I have to ask, outside of the office, I know family is very important to you, but do you have any hobbies or interests that give you that? Or do you think I'm completely crazy in, in seeing that, that zenness? Is that me projecting or is it coming from somewhere? No, I, I, you know, when things were at their lows for me and I couldn't find a job, I went and got a yoga teacher certificate. So yoga. I spent... Uh, you actually teach yoga. I I, I'm I not teaching currently because I'm teaching at Boston College and doing lots of other things, but I practice yoga almost daily and it is my space. My mat is a very important part of my space and my peacefulness, but it also is kind of putting to rest some of the demons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also where security for me is such a wonderful, exciting place to be because I don't spend my time worrying about the bad guys. The Zen of yoga security. All right. We're getting towards the end here. I only have a few more questions for you. Imagine if you will, however you want, somebody out there who either doesn't know about security or thinks it's not for them. And what would you tell him or her giving advice to that person? Channel yourself as spaff at the end of one table <laughs> and this person's sitting there however you want and you just have an inkling they need to hear something. What, what would you say to that person who's maybe thinking about security or doesn't yet know that they can do it? There's a seat at the table for all of us. You know, people are talking a lot about diversity in our field and my interest very much sits in the space of diversity of thought and diversity of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if you have a passion around it, if you're excited about it, it doesn't matter where your undergraduate degree comes from. It doesn't matter if you're technical. We all interact with this technology every day. Security is for everybody. It's, it's not just for, for CS everybody. and double E. Yeah. Come on in. The water's um, warm. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. I mean, I have this idea for a, a conference talk where, you know, it's sort of like a game show. Ask the people in the audience, what's your background? You know, and start collecting the stories. By the way, I I have found a huge number of people come from math, from physics, from English, from it's not just for the CS and EEs. Yeah. And if I could just add to that, it's also that, you know, I was told by many in my circles, you know, do this, do that, you know, at the darkest parts of, of this journey. And what I keep coming back to is that I get to choose my path. Mm. My path was finding PhD. My path was building Sightline. My path is keeping, being that advocate for nonprofits and keeping that front and center in the conversations. Other people pick other paths and you got to just be okay with it. But there's a place in this field for everybody. So come on in. We haven't talked about a lot in your background, so I'll have to have you back on things like Suricata and the Open, Open Security Foundation. and. I do have two final questions for you. The first one is, are you reading anything good that you would recommend to anyone listening that you think has any security 
security connotation. I always ask people what they're reading because I'm a big reader. Anything you're reading or you think is inspirational? Uh, well, it's not security. Really. It doesn't have to be. No, okay. no. In fact, that's even um, more interesting because we all have like the desktop reference manuals and stuff. So that wouldn't be particularly exciting. Well, um, I, I love Mercury Rising. Which so Freddie is, Mercury? Yes. Nice. It's a great book. And particularly after watching Bohemian Rhapsody. Is it similar to it? I mean, I realize it's a life, yeah. and, and, but, but often movies take a lot of liberties. Is it? No, it's not like a, a one-for-one kind of thing. What the interesting thing about that book is that it gave me so much more context around the AIDS epidemic mm. and the challenges with, you know, patient zero and, you know, just the the shifts in our society and in our healthcare yeah. at that time. And it was really eye-opening because I remember, I remember those days yeah. when so AIDS really kind of hit the scene. What I found fascinating was the Dallas Buyers Club. The film is, is shocking how hard it was for people to get medicine right. and at affordable rate and not be violating the law. Well, and it's so interesting. Just yesterday, I saw an advertisement on television for HIV medication. Wow. An advertisement. I mean, that's how such a huge from. social change and everything change. It really, I stopped what I was doing because I was just like, wait, we need to put a little marker on this because this is unheard of from what we used to know. I have to check that out. And yeah. final question is, um, at least I got a little poker into this podcast. So if I do a poker game uh, for CISOs either regionally or people who've been on, would you join us? Would you like to take part? I am Come totally, take our money. I'm totally We'll do it in. for charity maybe or something. Well, yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's not like we're going to make, we make it rich on penny poker. So I'm totally in. Abs- and I'm not even going to tell you my experience with poker. So You have none, of course, right? That's of the, course not. Of course not. Yeah, Zip. Like, can All you right. wear dark glasses? You certainly can. You and you can. You have to wear one of those old poker hats as well, uh, <laughs> and the sleeve clips. But uh, so, look, uh, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh, I believe in everything you're doing. So, uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, Love seeing you. It's good to see you. Thank you.